Welcome, you sweet turds, to Dipshit Files, episode 80. Mm-hmm. I'm Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And what are we doing today, my love? Today, I'm going to read the short story, The Pit and the Pendulum, Ooh. by Edgar Allan Poe. So it's creepy classics. It's aren't... creepy classics. For Witchtober. Yeah. So this is fucked up. <laughs> it should be fun. This is a fantastic and dark story that was actually published in 1850. Nice. Yeah. Well, let's just get right to it, shall we? Sounds good to this me. This isn't even a file. Let's open up the book. So tell us what we're in for today with some Edgar Allan Poe. All right. So just to set up the scene, Mm -hmm. uh, this is a short story about a man who was found guilty by the Inquisition of what is suspected to be heresy. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. I know. Well, you know, he... It starts, uh, as you will soon hear, it starts when he's in court Mm -hmm. and they're handing out his death sentence Mm. and what, how he reacts to that. So pants shitting. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Without too much interjection from my ass. (laughs) This is a classic story. Let's let's listen to read. And now it's time for the pit and the pendulum by Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) I was sick, sick unto death with that long agony. And when they at length unbound me and I was permitted to sit, I felt that my senses were leaving me. The sentence, the dread sentence of death, was the last of distinct accentuation which reached my ears. So this guy's having a fucked up time, all right? He's having a bad day. After that, the sound of the inquisitorial voices seemed merged in one dreamy, indeterminate hum. Shit appears to be fucked. It conveyed to my soul the idea of revolution. Maybe he's thinking about starting a rage against the machine cover band. Sorry, less of me. Perhaps from its association in fancy with the burr of a mill wheel. Mill wheel go burr. This only for a brief period, for presently I heard no more. Yet, for a while I saw... But with how terrible an exaggeration, I saw the lips of the black-robed judges. They appeared to me white, whiter than the sheet upon which I trace these words, and thin even to grotesqueness, thin with the intensity of their expression of firmness. And they looked goofy because they were wearing weird wigs. Of immovable resolution, of stern contempt of human torture. He's fucked. I saw that the decrees of what to me was fate were still issuing from those lips. I saw them writhe with a deadly locution. Locution means the act of speaking. I saw them fashion the syllables of my name, and I shuddered because no sound succeeded. Pause. I saw, too, for a few moments of delirious horror, the soft and nearly imperceptible waving of the sable draperies which enwrapped the walls of the apartment. Nice. And And then my vision fell upon the seven tall candles upon the table. Mm. At first, they wore the aspect of charity and seemed white and slender angels who would save me. But then, all at once, there came a most deadly nausea over my spirit. And I felt every fiber in my frame thrill as if I touched the wire of a galvanic battery. Maybe he should have pooped. While the angel forms became meaningless specters, 
with heads of flame, and I saw that from them there would be no help. Balls. And then they stole into my fancy like a rich musical note the thought of what sweet rest there must be in the grave. The thought came gently and stealthily, and it seemed long before it attained full appreciation. But just as my spirit came at length properly to feel and entertain it, the figures of the judges vanished, as if magically, from before me, the tall candles sank into nothingness. Their flames went out utterly. The blackness of darkness supervened. All sensations appeared swallowed up in a mad rushing descent as the soul into Hades. Dude passed the fuck out. Then silence. I hit his head. And stillness. Definitely a concussion. Night. Bopped his bean. Were the universe. It's not good to pass out. I had swooned, but still will not say all of consciousness was lost. It's like 85%. What of it there remained, I will not attempt to define or even to describe, yet... 85%. All was not lost. In the deepest slumber? No. In delirium? No. In a swoon? No, in death, no, even in the grave, all is not lost. Else there is no immortality for man. Balls. Arousing from the most profound of slumbers, we break the gossamer web of some dream. Yet in a second afterward, so frail may that web have been, we remember not that we have dreamed. In the return of life from the swoon, there are two stages. First, that of the sense of mental or spiritual. Secondly that of the sense of physical existence. It seems probable that if upon reaching the second stage we would recall the impressions of the first, we should find these impressions eloquent in memories of the gulf beyond. And that gulf is what? A trippy DMT trip your brain did to you. How at least shall we distinguish its shadows from those of the tomb? Mm. But if the impressions of what I have termed the first stage are not at will recalled yet after long interval, do we not come unbidden while we marvel once they came? Unbidden means not invited, asked, or requested. Unbidden. He who has never swooned is not he who finds strange palaces and wildly familiar faces in coals that glow. Is not he who beholds floating in midair the sad visions that the many may not view? Is not he who ponders over the perfume of some novel flower? Is not he whose brain grows bewildered with the meaning of some musical cadence which he has never before arrested his attention? Must got in my need to try some mushrooms. Amid frequent and thoughtful endeavors to remember, amid earnest struggles to regather some token of the state of seeming nothingness into which my soul has lapsed, there have been moments when I have dreamed of success. There have been brief very brief periods when I've conjured up remembrances which the lucid reason of a later epoch assures me could have had reference only to that condition of seemingly unconsciousness. These shadows of memory tell indistinctly of tall figures that lifted and bore me in silence down, down, still down, till a hideous dizziness oppressed me at the mere idea of the interminableness of the descent. Now, it's around those depths you're going to want to start worrying about radon. They tell also of a vague horror at my heart, on account of that heart's unnatural stillness. Then comes a sense of sudden motionless throughout all things, as if those who bore me a ghastly train had outrun in their descent the limits of the limitless and paused from the wearisome of their toil. After this, I call to mind flatness, and dampness, 
and then all is madness, the madness of a memory which busies itself among forbidden things. Boobies. Very suddenly there came back to my soul motion and sound, the tumultuous motion of the heart and, in my ears, the sound of its beating. Then a pause in which all is blank. Then again, sound and motion and touch, a tingling sensation pervading my frame. Then the mere consciousness of existence without thought, a condition which lasted long. Then, very suddenly, thought and shuddering terror and earnest endeavor to comprehend my true state. Then a strong desire to lapse into insensibility. Mm. Then a rushing revival of soul and a successful effort to move. And then a huge boner <laughs> in his pants. And now a full memory of the trial, of the judges, of the sable draperies, of the sentence, of the sickness, of the swoon. Then entire forgetfulness of all that followed. And then kind of less of a boner. Of all that, a later day and much earnestness of endeavor have enabled me to vaguely recall. So far, I had not opened my eyes. I felt that I lay upon my back, unbound. I reached out my hand, and it fell heavily upon something damp and hard. There I suffered it to remain for many minutes while I strove to imagine where and what I could be. I longed, yet dared not to employ my vision. I dreaded the first glance at objects around me. Is it because he feared to look at things horrible? It was not that I feared to look upon things horrible. Oh, good, that's good. But that I grew aghast lest there should be nothing to see. At length, with a wild desperation at heart, I quickly unclosed my eyes. That sounds like a metal lyric. My unclosed eyes. My thoughts. My worst thoughts then were confirmed. No more boobies. The blackness of eternal night encompassed me. I struggled for breath. The intensity of the darkness seemed to oppress and stifle me. The atmosphere was intolerably close. Mm. I still lay quietly and made effort to exercise my reason. Played some Sudoku. I brought to mind the inquisitorial proceedings and attempted from that point to deduce my real condition. Super fucked. The sentence had passed, and it appeared to me that a very long interval of time had since lapsed. Not good for a concussion. Yet... Not for a moment did I suppose myself actually dead. He was mostly dead. Such a supposition, notwithstanding what we read in fiction, is altogether inconsistent with real existence. Fucking Hallmark commercials. But where and in what state was I? Wisconsin. The condemned to death, I knew, perished usually at the auto de fe. An auto de fe was a public ceremony during which the sentences upon these brought before the Spanish Inquisition were read and after which the sentences were executed by the secular authorities. One of these had been held on the very night of the day of my trial. What if you were remanded to your dungeon? Had I been remanded to my dungeon to await the next sacrifice? which would not take place for many months. And that bottleneck really comes from managerial disorganization. This I at once saw could not be. Victims had been in immediate demand. Moreover, my dungeon, as well as all the condemned cells in Toledo, had stone floors, and light was not altogether excluded. Certainly not a fan of the smell, though. A fearful idea now suddenly drove the blood in torrents upon my heart, and for a brief period I once more relapsed into insensibility. Indifferent as fuck. Upon recovering, I at once started to my feet, trembling convulsively in every fiber. False. I thrust my arms wildly above and around me in all directions. I felt 
nothing. Oh, he was insensible to physical impressions. Okay, that was that insensible. Yet dreaded to move a step, lest I should be impeded by the walls of a tomb. Perspiration burst from every pore and stood in cold, big beads upon my forehead. Did you get the dick out? The agony of suspense grew at length intolerable, and I cautiously moved forward with my arms extended and my eyes straining from their sockets in hope of catching some faint ray of light. I gotta get that vitamin D. I proceeded for many paces, but still all was blackness and vacancy. I breathed more freely. It seemed evident that mine was not at least the most hideous of fates. And now, as I still continued to step cautiously onward, there came thronging upon my recollection a thousand vague rumors of the horrors of Toledo. And I will phone you. One of the dungeons there had been full of dragons. Strange things narrated, fables I had always deemed them, but yet strange and too ghastly to repeat save in a whisper. Was I left to perish of starvation in this subterranean world of darkness, or what fate perhaps even more fearful awaited me? Oh, they're going to be fucking terrible cunts to you. That the result would be death, and a death of more than customary bitterness, I knew too well the character of my judges to doubt. They're dicks! The mode and the hour were all that occupied or distracted me. Also thinking about boobies. My outstretched hands at length encountered some solid obstruction. It was a, a wall, seemingly of stone masonry. Very smooth, slimy, and cold. I followed it up, stepping with all the careful distrust with certain antique narratives that inspired me. This process, however, afforded me no means of ascertaining the dimensions of my dungeon, as I might make its circuit and return to the point whence I set out without being aware of the fact so perfectly uniform seemed the wall. I therefore sought the knife which had been in my pocket when led into the inquisitorial chamber, but it was gone. Well, fucking die. My clothes had been exchanged for a wrapper of coarse serge. A serge is a type of twill fabric that has diagonal lines or ridges on both inner and outer surfaces via a two-up or two-down weave. I had thought of forcing the blade in some minute crevice of the masonry so as to identify my point of departure. The difficulty, nevertheless, was but trivial. Although, in the disorder of my fancy, it seemed at first insuperable. I tore a part of the hem from the robe and placed the fragment at full length and at right angles to the wall. In groping my way around the prison, I could not fail to encounter this rag upon completing the circuit. So, at least I thought, but had not counted upon the extent of the dungeon or upon my own weakness. The ground was moist and slippery. I staggered onward for some time when I stumbled and fell. My excessive fatigue induced me to remain prostrate, and sleep soon overtook me as I lay. Upon awaking and stretching forth an arm, I found beside me a loaf and a pitcher with water. I was too much exhausted to reflect upon this circumstance, but ate and drank with avidity. Shortly afterward, I resumed my tour round the prison, and with much toil came at last upon the fragment of the surge. Up to the point when I fell, I had counted 52 paces, and upon resuming my walk, I had counted 48 more. That's 100. When I arrived at the rag. <laughs> there were, in all, then, 100 paces, and admitting two paces to the yard, I presumed the dungeon to be 50 yards in circuit. Mathed it. I had met, however, with many angles in the wall, and thus could not form a guess as to the shape of the vault. For the vault... 
I could not help supposing it to be. Okay. I had little object, certainly no hope, these researches. But a vague curiosity prompted me to continue them. Quitting the wall, I resolved to cross the area of the enclosure. At first, I proceeded with extreme caution, for the floor, although seemingly of solid material, was treacherous with slime. At length, however, I took courage and did not hesitate to step firmly, endeavoring to cross in as direct line as possible. I had advanced some ten or twelve paces in this manner when the remnant of the torn hem of my robe became entangled in my legs. I stepped on it and fell violently on my face. In the confusion attending my fall, I did not immediately apprehend a somewhat startling circumstance, which yet, in a few seconds afterward, and while I still lay prostrate, arrested my attention. He was face down and focused on some shit. It was this. My chin rested upon the floor of the prison. But my lips and the upper portion of my head, although seemingly at a less elevation than the chin, touched nothing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, my forehead seemed bathed in a clammy vapor, and the peculiar smell of decaying fungus arose to my nostrils. Can we get some scented candles? I put forward my arm and shuddered to find that I had fallen at the very brink of a circular pit, whose extent, of course, I had no means of ascertaining at the moment. Avoid the pit. Groping about the masonry just below the margin, I succeeded in dislodging a small fragment and let it fall into the abyss. For many seconds, I hearkened to its reverberations as it dashed against the sides of the chasm in its descent. Deep. At length, there was a sudden plunge into water, succeeded by loud echoes. At the same moment, there came a sound resembling the quick opening and as rapid closing of a door overhead, while a faint gleam of light flashed suddenly through the gloom and as suddenly faded away. I wanted to see if he fell. I saw clearly the doom which had been prepared for me and congratulated myself upon the timely accident by which I had escaped. And they were disappointed he didn't fall into the pit. Another step before my fall and the world had seen me no more. Dead as fuck. And the death just avoided was that very character which I had regarded as fabulous and frivolous in the tales respecting the Inquisition. To the victims of its tyranny, there was the choice of death with its direst physical agonies or death with its most hideous moral horrors. I had been reserved for the latter. By long suffering, my nerves had been unstrung until I trembled at the sound of my own voice and had become in every respect a fitting subject for the species of torture which awaited me. Shaking in every limb, I groped my way back to the wall resolving there to perish rather than risk the terrors of the wells, of which my imagination now pictured many in various positions about the dungeon. There's probably a pool of pee down there. In other conditions, my mind, I might have had courage to end my misery at once by a plunge into one of these abysses, but now I was the veriest of cowards. Neither could I forget what I had read of these pits, that the sudden extinction of life formed no part of their most horrible plan. Suffer, bitch! Agitation of spirit kept me awake for many long hours, but at length I again slumbered. Upon arousing, I found by my side, as before, a loaf and a pitcher of water. A burning thirst had consumed me, and I emptied the vessel at a draft. Quickly? It must have been drugged, for scarcely had I drunk before I became irresistibly drowsy. Dick move, guys. A deep sleep fell upon me, a sleep like that of death. How long it lasted, of course, I know not. 
But when, once again, I unclosed my eyes, the objects around me were visible. By a wild, sulfurous luster, the origin of which I could not at first determine, I was enabled to see the extent and aspect of the prison. He probably thought to himself, now's a good time to jerk it. Relieve some anxiety. In its size, I had been greatly mistaken. Mm. The whole circuit of its walls did not exceed 25 yards. Uh, where's the weight room? For some minutes, this fact occasioned me in a world of vain trouble. Vain, you say? Vain, indeed. All right, fuck me. For what could be less important under the terrible circumstances which environed me than the mere dimensions of my dungeon? You could count the hair on your legs. But my soul took a wild interest in trifles as I busied myself in endeavors to account for the error I had committed in my measurement. Way to math, dickhead. The truth at length flashed upon me. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. In my first attempt at exploration, I had counted 52 paces, up to the period when I fell. Oh, my fucking knee! I must then have been within a pace or two of the fragment of surge. In fact, I had nearly performed the circuit of the vault. I then slept, and upon waking, I must have returned upon my steps. Thus, supposing the circuit nearly double what it actually was. We forgot the B-squared. My confusion of mind prevented me from observing that I began my tour with the wall to my left and ended it with the wall to my right. I had been deceived, too, in respect to the shape of the enclosure. In feeling my way, I had found many angles and thus deduced an idea of great irregularity. So potent is the effect of total darkness upon one arousing from lethargy or sleep. The angles were simply those of a slight few depressions or niches at odd intervals. The general shape of the prison was square. And there was poop in the corner. What I had taken for masonry seemed now to be iron or some other metal in huge plates whose sutures or joints occasioned the depression. The entire surface of this metallic enclosure was rudely daubed with the hideous and repulsive devices to which the charnel superstition of the monks had given rise. Torture shit. The figures of fiends in aspects of menace with skeleton forms and other really fearful images overspread and disfigured the walls. So it's like Ozzy Osbourne's house? I observed that the outlines of these monstrosities were sufficiently distinct, but that the colors seemed faded and blurred as if from the effects of a damp atmosphere. You do not want to take a black light in there. I now noticed the floor, too, which was of stone. In the center yawned the circular pit from whose jaws I had escaped, but it was the only one in the dungeon. All this I saw indistinctly and by much effort, for my personal condition had been greatly changed during slumber. I now lay upon my back and at full length on a species of low framework of wood. To this I was securely bound by a long strap resembling a surcingle. A surcingle is a strap made of leather or leather-like synthetic material such as nylon or neoprene, sometimes with elastic that fastens around a horse's girth. It passed in many convolutions around my limbs and body, leaving at liberty only my head and my left arm to such extent that I could, by dint of much exertion, supply myself with food from an earthen dish which lay by my side on the floor. Earthen means made out of clay. I saw to my horror that the pitcher had been removed. You dick! I say to my horror, for I was consumed with intolerable thirst. This thirst, it appeared to be the design of my persecutors to stimulate. Serious dick! For the food in the dish was meat pungently seasoned. If our dude dies, he should haunt those guys. Looking upward, I surveyed the ceiling of my prison. It was some 30 or 40 feet overhead and constructed much as the side walls. 
In one of its panels, a very singular figure riveted my whole attention. Were they boobies? It was the painted figure of time, as he is commonly represented. Save that in lieu of the scythe, he held what, at a casual glance, I supposed to be the pictured image of a huge pendulum, such as we see on antique clocks. There was something, however, in the appearance of this machine which caused me to regard it more attentively. While I gazed directly upward at it, for its position was immediately over my own, I fancied that I saw it in motion. Because it was. In an instant afterward, the fancy was confirmed. Its sweep was brief and, of course, slow. I watched it for some minutes, somewhat in fear, but more in wonder. Wearied at length with observing its dull movement, I turned my eyes upon the other objects in the cell. The clown crying in the corner was off-putting. A slight noise attracted my notice, and, looking to the floor, I saw several enormous rats traversing it. Fuck you, rats. (laughs) They had issued from the well, which lay just within view to my right. Even then, while I gazed, they came up in troops hurriedly, with ravenous eyes, allured by the scent of the meat. From this, it required much effort and attention to scare them away. But this guy works it out right, he can get more meat. (laughs) It might have been a half an hour, perhaps even an hour, for I could take but imperfect note of time, before I again cast my eyes upward. At the swingy thingy. What I then saw confounded and amazed me. Boobies. The sweep of the pendulum had increased in extent by nearly a yard. Impressive. As a natural consequence, its velocity was also much greater. But what mainly disturbed me was the idea that it had perceptibly descended. Some James Bond shit. I now observed, with what horror it is needless to say, that its nether extremity was formed of a crescent of glittering steel. That's wiener. About a foot in length from horn to horn. Oh, that's a sweeter. The horns upward and the under edge evidently as keen as that of a razor. But how is it similar to a razor? Like a razor also, it seemed massy and heavy, tapering from the edge into a solid and broad structure above. Big axe. It was appended to a weighty rod of brass, and the whole hissed as it swung along through the air. I could no longer doubt the doom prepared for me by monkish ingenuity and torture. My cognizance of the pit had become known to the inquisitorial agents. They knew he knew. The pit whose horrors had been destined for so bold a recusant as myself. Legally fucked. The pit, typical of hell, and regarded by rumor as the ultima thule of all their punishments. Is that about time travel? The plunge into this pit I had avoided by the merest of accidents. I knew that surprise or entrapment into torment formed an important portion of all the grotesquery of these dungeon deaths. Great word. Having failed to fall, it was no part of the demon plan to hurl me into the abyss. And thus, there being no alternative, a different and milder destruction awaited me. Big swing and axe. Milder. Mm. <laughs> I half smiled in my agony as I thought of such application of such a term. Everything's still fucked. What boots it to tell of the long, long hours of horror more than mortal, during which I counted the rushing vibrations of steel, inch by inch, line by line, with a descent only appreciable at intervals that seemed ages down and still down it came days passed it might have been that many days passed ere it swept so close over me as to fan me with its acrid breath the odor of the sharp steel forced itself into my nostrils i prayed i wearied heaven with prayer for 
its more speedy descent. I grew frantically mad and struggled to force myself upward against the sweep of the fearful scimitar. And then I suddenly fell calm and lay smiling at the glittering death as a child at some rare bauble. Bauble your face, I'm sorry. There was another interval of utter insensibility. It was brief, for upon again lapsing into life, there had been no perceptible descent in the pendulum. But it might have been long, for I knew there were demons who took note of my swoon and who could have arrested the vibration at pleasure. Upon my recovery, too, I felt very, oh, inexpressibly sick and weak as if through long inanition. Even amid the agonies of that period, the human nature craved food. With painful effort, I outstretched my left arm as far as my bonds permitted and took possession of the small remnant which had been spared me by the rats. As I put a portion of it within my lips, there rushed to my mind a half-formed thought of joy, of hope. Yet what business had I with hope? It was, as I say, a half-formed thought. Man has many such which are never completed. I felt that it was of joy, of of hope. I felt also that it had perished in its formation. In vain I struggled to perfect, to regain it. Long suffering had nearly annihilated all my ordinary powers of mind. I was an imbecile, an idiot. Feel that. The vibration of the pendulum was at right angles to my length. More fucking math! I saw that the crescent was designed to cross the region of the heart. It would fray the surge of my robe. It would return and repeat its operations again and again. Notwithstanding terrifically wide sweep, some 30 feet or more, and the hissing vigor of its descent, sufficient to surrender these very walls of iron, still the fraying of my robe would be all that for several minutes it would accomplish. Okay. And at this thought, I paused. Do you dare go further than that reflection? I dared not go further than this reflection. That's what I thought. I dwelt upon it with pernacity of attention, as if in so dwelling I could arrest here the descent of the steel. Pernacity means swiftness of motion. I forced myself to ponder upon the sound of the crescent as it should pass across the garment. While shitting myself. Upon the peculiar thrilling sensation. What? which the friction of cloth produces on the nerves. Friction. I pondered upon all this frivolity until my teeth were on edge. All right, then. Down, steadily down, it crept. Very fucked. I took a frenzied pleasure in contrasting its downward with its lateral velocity. Dork. To the right, to the left, far and wide with the shriek of a damned spirit, to my heart with the stealthy pace of a tiger. Tony the Tiger? I alternately laughed and howled as the one or the other idea grew predominant. This ain't great. Down, certainly relentlessly down. It vibrated within three inches of my bosom. Then I thought, I should pull the dick out. I struggled violently, furiously to free my left arm. This was free only from the elbow to the hand. I could reach the ladder from the platter beside me to my mouth with great effort, but no further. Could I have broken the fastenings above the elbow, I would have seized and attempted to arrest the pendulum. I might as well have attempted to arrest an avalanche. You're coming with me, avalanche. Down, still unceasingly, still inevitably down. I gasped and struggled at each vibration. 
I shrunk convulsively at its every sweep. My eyes followed its outward or upward whirls with the eagerness of the most unmeaning despair. They closed themselves spasmodically at the descent, although death would have been a relief. Oh, oh, how unspeakable. Still, I quivered in every nerve to think how slight a sinking of the machinery would precipitate that keen, glistening axe upon my bosom. Boobies. It was hope that prompted the nerve to quiver, the frame to shrink. It was hope, the hope that triumphs on the rack, that whispers to the death, condemned even in the dungeons of the Inquisition. I saw that some ten or twelve vibrations would bring the steel in actual contact with my robe, and with his observation, there suddenly came over my spirit all the keen, collected calmness of despair. Because he's fucked. For the first time in many hours, or, or perhaps days, I thought, it now occurred to me that the bandage, or surcingle that enveloped me, was unique. I was tied by no separate cord. The first stroke of the razor-like crescent athwart any portion of my band would also detach it that it might be unwound from my person by means of my left hand, but how fearful in that case the proximity of the steel. The result of the slightest struggle, how deadly. Was it likely, moreover, that the minions of the tortured had not foreseen and provided this as a possibility? Way to go, dumbasses. Was it probable that the bandage crossed my bosom in the track of the pendulum? Dreading to find my fate, and, as it seemed, in last hope frustrated, I so far elevated my head as to obtain a distinct view of my breast. Hot. <laughs> the surcingle enveloped my limbs and body close in all directions, save in the path of the destroying crescent. Do you know how much a big axe blade like that would cost? Scarcely I dropped my head back into its original position when there flashed upon my mind what I cannot better describe than as the unformed half of that idea of deliverance to which I previously alluded and of which a moiety only floated indeterminately through my brain when I raised food to my burning lips. Still fucked. The whole thought was now present. Feeble, scarcely sane, scarcely definite, but still entire. I proceeded at once with the nervous energy of despair to attempt its execution. For many hours, the immediate vicinity of the low framework on which I lay had been literally swimming with rats. They were wild, bold, ravenous, their eyes glaring upon me as if they waited but for motionlessness on my part to make me their prey. Ooh, little buddies. To what food, I thought, have they been accustomed in that well? People. They had devoured, in spite of all my efforts to prevent them, all but a small remnant of the contents of the dish. I had fallen into a habitual seesaw or wave of the hand about the platter, and at length the unconscious uniformity of movement prived it from effect. In their voracity, the vermin frequently fastened their sharp fangs in my fingers. Ow. With the particles of the oily and spicy beyond which now remained, I thoroughly rubbed the bandage where I could reach it. Then, raising my hand from the floor, I lay breathlessly still. He's got a plan. At first, the ravenous animals were startled and terrified at the change, at the cessation of movement. Cessation means to halt. They shrank alarmedly back. Many sought the well, but this was only for a moment. I had not counted in vain upon their veracity. 
Observing that I remained without motion, one or two of the boldest leaped upon the framework and smelt at the searching goal. Fucking cunts! This seemed the signal for a general rush. Forth from the well, they hurried in fresh troops. They clung to the wood. They overran it and leaped in hundreds upon my person. The measured movement of the pendulum disturbed them not at all. Avoiding its strokes, they busied themselves with the anointed bandage. They pressed. They swarmed upon me in ever-accumulating heaps. They writhed upon my throat. Their cold lips sought my own. I was half-stifled by their thronging pressure. Disgust, for which the world has no name, swelled my bosom and chilled with a heavy clamminess my heart. Yet one minute, and I felt that the struggle would be over. Plainly, I perceived the loosening of the bandage. Fuck yeah. I knew that in more than one place it must be already severed. With a more than human resolution, yeah. I stay still. And that's when his butthole started to itch. Nor had I erred in my calculations. Nor had I endured in vain. Mm-hmm. I at length felt that I was free. Fuck yeah, buddy. The surcingle hung in rib bands from my body. Okay. But the stroke of the pendulum already pressed upon my bosom. Boobies. It had divided the surge of the robe. It had cut through the linen beneath. Twice again it swung and a sharp sense of pain shot through every nerve. Uh-oh. But the moment of escape had arrived. All right. At a wave of my hand, my deliverers hurried tumultuously away. Loud and agitated. With a steady movement, cautious, sidelong, shrinking and slow, I slid from the embrace of the bandage and beyond the reach of the scimitar. The big knife. For the moment, at least, I was free. Out of bitch. Free and in the grasp of the Inquisition. <laughs> I had scarcely stepped from my wooden bed of horror upon the stone floor of the prison when the motion of the hellish machine ceased and I beheld it drawn up by some invisible force through the ceiling. Was it Jesus? This was a lesson which I took desperately to heart. Because it almost cut your heart in two. My every motion was undoubtedly watched. Fucking dick. Free. But I had escaped death in one form of agony to be delivered unto worse than death in some other. Balls. With that thought, I rolled my eyes nervously around the barriers of that iron that hemmed me in. Something unusual, some change, which at first I could not appreciate distinctly, it was obvious, had taken place in the apartment. New drapes? For many minutes of a dreamy and trembling abstraction, I busied myself in vain, unconnected conjecture. During this period, I became aware for the first time of the origin of the sulfurous light which illuminated the cell. Go for it, buddy. You can do it. It proceeded from a fissure, about half an inch in width, extending entirely around the prison at the base of the walls, which thus appeared and were completely separated from the floor. I endeavored, but of course in vain, to look through the aperture. As I arose from the attempt, the mystery of the alteration of the chamber broke at once upon my understanding. I have observed that although the outlines of the figures of the walls were sufficiently distinct, yet the colors seemed blurred and indefinite. These colors had now assumed and were momentarily assuming a startling and most intense brilliancy that gave to the spectral and fiendish portraitures an aspect that might have thrilled even firmer nerves than my own. Oh my God, fervor nerve. <laughs> Sorry. Demon eyes of a wild and ghastly vivacity stared at me in a thousand directions where none had been visible before. 
and gleamed with the lurid luster of a fire that I could not force my imagination to regard as unreal. Unreal. Even while I breathed, there came to my nostrils the breath of the vapor of heated iron. A suffocating odor pervaded the prison. Stinky. A deeper glow settled each moment in my eyes that glared at my agonies. A richter tint of crimson diffused itself over the pictured horrors of blood. I panted. I gasped for breath. There could be no doubt of the design of my tormentors. Oh, most unrelenting. Oh, most demoniac of men. I shrank from the glowing metal to the center of the cell. Amid the thought of the fiery destruction that impeded the idea of the coolness of the well came over my soul like balm. I rushed to its deadly brink. I threw my straining vision below. The glare from the enkindled roof illuminated its inmost recesses, yet for a wild moment did my spirit refuse to comprehend the meaning of what I saw. Boobies. At length it forced, it wrestled its way into my soul. It burned itself upon my shuddering reason. It was boobies. Oh, for a voice to speak. Oh, horror. Oh, any horror but this. Get the dig out. With a shriek, I rushed from the margin and buried my face in my hands, weeping bitterly. The heat rapidly increased, and once again I looked up, shuddering, with a fit of the ague. There had been a second change in the cell, and now the change was obviously in the form. As before... It was in vain that I, at first, endeavored to appreciate or understand what was taking place. But not long was I left in doubt. The inquisitorial vengeance had been hurried by my twofold escape, and there was to be no more dallying with the king of terrors. Well, you can dilly if you want. The room had been square. I saw that two of its iron angles were now acute, two, consequently obtuse. The fearful difference quickly increasing with a low rumbling or moaning sound. In an instant, the apartment had shifted its form into that of a lozenge. But the alteration stopped not here. I neither hoped nor desired it to stop. I could have clasped the red walls with my bosom as a garment of eternal peace. Death, I said, any death but that of the pit. Fool. Might I have not known that into the pit was the object of the burning iron to urge me? Could I resist its glow? Or, even that, could I withstand its pressure, and now flatter and flatter grew the lozenge, with a rapidity that left me no time for contemplation? Its center, and that, of course, its greatest width, came just over the yawning gulf. I shrank back, but the closing walls pressed me resistlessly onward. At length, for my seared and writhing body, there was no longer an inch of foothold on the firm floor of the prison. I struggled no more, but the agony of my soul found vent in one loud, long, and final scream of despair. I felt that I tottered upon the brink. I averted my eyes. There was a discordant hum of human voices. There was a loud blast as many trumpets. There was a harsh grating as of a thousand thunders. The fiery walls rushed back. An outstretched arm caught my own as I fell, fainting, into the abyss. It was that of General Assal. The French army had entered Toledo. The Inquisition was in the hands 
of its enemies. Good timing for dude. And that's the end of the story. Now let's finalize the show, man. And that was Witchtober's reading of uh, the, the Pit, Pit and, and the, the Pendulum. pendulum. Very isn't, cool. Isn't that isn't that just fantastic? There's some words you guys might want to look up in there. I'm sure I'm certainly looking them up myself. Yes. But yeah. But his writing style is so descriptive. Thank you for reading it to us. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening. So that was about the Spanish Inquisition, right? Yes. Okay. Tell yeah. us tell us a little bit more. Okay. Set it up a little bit the, for us. The, ab- the abridged uh, version basically is uh, during the Inquisition, this individual, for whatever reason we don't know, mm-hmm. was found guilty of obvious, Being naughty. obviously heresy in some way. Yeah. In a nutshell, he didn't believe the same things that they believed in. Mm-hmm. And he may have read a book he wasn't supposed to read. Who knows? Right. For whatever reason, he has been sentenced to death. And that whole experience was him in the dungeon and his it mind. It started off during his trial uh, when he passed out and then woke up uh, and found himself in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he passed out due to the shock of his death sentence. And he found himself in a dungeon and it was his experience there. Um, Rats and all. Yes. And it's. I find it fascinating uh, because it starts off, when I first read this story, I thought they were describing an oubliette. Mm. And now an oubliette is a French torture chamber, basically. It, it's, it's where it, they are typically found in castles. They're typically found under the floors of the main hall of a castle. And the whole point of an oubliette is psychological torture. So what they would do is they'd put the oubliette down under the floor of the main hall where they'd have their dinners. So the prisoner could hear everything that was going on upstairs. And them up there, when they were quiet, they could hear the screams of the prisoner. So it was it was torture. They weren't fed. They weren't given water. Now... In this dungeon area, it had very high walls, and it had a pit in the center, typically only about two feet of a ledge all the way around this circular dungeon, Hmm. and that it would drop anywhere from 60 to 90 feet, I believe, and at the bottom were... Uh, sharpened spikes of wood that Lovely. would stick out of the floor. Probably with poop on them too, so that make. It well, they never filled. cleaned it. It was covered mm. with bodies. Oh so boy. other people that died before them, that's they would just leave them there. That's probably smelled smelled lovely right so that that's an oubliette and the 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 meaning of an oubliette is a place of forgetting Mm. so they called it an oubliette because it forced the person to either starve to death reflect on what they did and have or and and dehydrate to death Mm -hmm. or they could always end their torture and jump in the problem is most people didn't die immediately. They still died slowly, impaled on wooden stakes. Yeah. So that's what I thought when I first read this story back in, gosh, my first read through this, I believe I was a sophomore in high school. Hmm. And I thought that he was talking about an oubliette, which he is somewhat. This which is most of us just learned about right now. Somewhat of an oubliette, right? Um, however, there's a table. That he's laying on. So obviously not an oubliette. It's a combo. So they had an oubliette-esque type dungeon. They also had the pendulum that fell. It was a giant basically knife mm-hmm. that swung from the ceiling and chopped people in half. Mm-hmm. 
And additionally, they had those mechanical iron walls that had uh, coal heating behind them that they could pump up the furnace. And all they were doing was torturing this person. And, and then killing him with the well, the and they were watching him. What's going to make it? Is he going to jump? No, he's not going to jump. Okay, well, we're going to poison him and then we're going to put him on the table because obviously he's not going to jump. So they put him on the table and they got the pendulum going. As soon as they saw that he was smart enough to get the rats involved to chew his ties away mm-hmm. so he could get off the table, they're like, all right, quit fucking with this guy. I'm tired of watching him kill him. Mm-hmm. So they heated up the walls and they started the cranks and they moved the walls inwards because you can't escape. He's either going to have to jump or fall into the oubliette-esque thing mm-hmm. or be burned to death. Oh, choices. However, the triumphant moment is one sentence at the very end, the very last sentence, when the Inquisition was over and he was saved as he was falling. And I find this story... Fascinating because of his writing style, mm-hmm. his description. Fascinating because how horrific humans are to each other. Mm-hmm. And additionally, it's one of the only stories that I have written. There's one other, but there's only uh, this is one of the only stories that I ever wrote or over read by Edgar Allan Poe that ended happily. <laughs> as happy as he can make it. Yeah. It is well, a happy ending. Yeah, it is a happy ending. I mean, dude's lost his mind and he will never be the same. No. But. You know, at least he didn't die impaled by sticks or stuck to the wall somewhere or cut in half, <laughs> you know. Anyways, so that is the, uh, that's that's the Cliff Notes that's version what we just of the pit and pendulum. To. Yes. And that was, thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. So we got some fucking, this is almost a fancy scat. Or maybe a confusing scat. Very, I don't know. very true. <laughs> some of those words, man. Some of those words. Yes, but it's beautiful. It is poetry. It's, it is. It's uh, music, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Fancy scat. <laughs> I hope you had your t-shirt tuxedos on. And yes. Other things. And, and sipping, your ball gowns. sipping your chamomile tea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to mm-hmm. our trusted turd triad of Don, Chris, and Bodhi. Mm-hmm. Thank you to our trusted turd herders. This huge group of people. Yes. Uh, PJ and Minnie doing our Reddit for Scatcast. Mm-hmm. You can find so many people. Bryce White, mm-hmm. always doing cool stuff. Yeah. We've got Lucifina Lightbringer doing stuff. Hoje Montez, David Carpenter, the Scat mm-hmm. Warlock. Absolutely. There is, of course, Jacob Corbino mm-hmm. leading that there. Scat Meme Army, Chris Eason, mm-hmm. who's always doing memes as well. Joe Labardi. Joe Labardi. Mm-hmm. So many folk. Yeah. And I want to thank you guys all. I'm actually putting together a big, long thank you. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to do my research real well. So all of you guys that are so active and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get all your damn names down. <laughs> uh, of course, we have a lot of patrons, too. So mm-hmm. it's just going to be basically one of these episodes is going to be just reading names. Yeah. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys so much. Info at scatcast.com mm-hmm. is how to reach out to us. Patreon.com forward slash scatcast is how you get the Patreon stuff mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. And yeah, next week we're, we're going to finish off. Actually, we're done with Witchtober, aren't we? Uh, well, Halloween is on Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. So the next day will be mm-hmm. the... I might continue us just one more day. Just one more day, because it is actually yeah. a, a kind it's of It's the day of the dead. Yeah. yeah. So we will have one more Witchtober day, despite mm-hmm. Halloween ending the day before. I don't care. I don't care. Over Every day's Witchtober in my life. Dipshit Files is quite the, you know, <laughs> it's kind of spooky anyway, all throughout the year. Mm-hmm. We deal with dipshits. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. As always, we'll talk at you in the future. And it'll seem like the present. Bye. Bye.
shit file. Bing. Bong. Poo. My dicks. <laughs>